Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter because I really want you to see the whole context of what's going on here and what Jesus is saying. We're only going to get as far as probably verse 22 uh, tonight. So let's see how we go here. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean up the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how, you are, to, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barakiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
Now, as you can tell, Jesus, he's gotten on his soapbox a little bit here, has he not? And again, like I prayed at the beginning, be careful that we don't just sit here and look at what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. Hey, John, good to see you. Uh, that, but actually, that you would allow God to speak to us tonight. Because those Pharisees were just as human as you and I, and his, their tendencies, you're going to see tonight, are our tendencies as well. So don't think to yourself, well, I'm not like a Pharisee. Every one of us has those tendencies. And so let's let God talk to us. We're going to take this passage and we're going to break it down into sections. And we're going to take each section at a time tonight. Let's just look at verses 1 through 3 again. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. In these verses, Jesus is telling us to, to listen, to, telling them to listen to what the Pharisees say, since they teach the law of Moses. But he warns them not to live the way and act the way the Pharisees do. In other words, what he was saying to them was, they've been given a role and a position and you should respect that. They sit on the seat of Moses and they do teach the law of God. Don't become followers of them, though. And that's what I want to talk to you all about now as Christians. We need to understand the balance of respecting the fact that God has designed spiritual authority in our churches. That there are those who are over us in the Lord and we're to respect them. Yet we should not go to the extreme of becoming followers of men. And so I want to show you from Scripture what I'm talking about. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 12 through 13. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 12 and 13. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are what? What's that next word? Over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Don't miss that. There are those that God has designed in the church to have authority in the church. Of course, nowadays in our American culture, we've Americanized the church and everybody gets an equal say. And I always ask churches, who's over you in the Lord? They say, oh, the pastors. And I say, really? You guys can vote them out tomorrow. You all have a vote. You all have a say. Most pastors today don't have many, any more authority than a paid babysitter. You know, where the kids say to the babysitter, yeah, you may be in charge, but you're really not my dad. And the Bible teaches that we're to respect those who are over us. I preached on this whole topic at a church in New Orleans years ago. And when I was done, a man came and met me in the foyer. and He said to me, he goes, respect is earned. I said, well, you need to sit down again. He goes, why? I go, because I got to preach this sermon all over again because you didn't hear it. I said, did you hear me say that you're to respect them if they've earned your respect? Or did you hear the scripture say that you're to respect them because of the position God has given them? And we need to learn to dance that dance in the balance of respecting the fact that God has given us spiritual authority, yet not just becoming yes men or yes women where we just do whatever they say. We have to learn the balance of respecting the position yet at the same time not becoming a follower of men. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 17. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, the scripture is pretty clear. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So here we see that the Bible teaches that there's going to be spiritual authority in our churches and we're to respect that because just like the Pharisees sat on Moses' seat, they're to listen to what they're saying. Yet, don't just follow them. Go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
Here we're going to move into how the scripture teaches that though as much as we're to respect those who are the spiritual authority over us in the church, we're not to become followers of people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at what Paul says in verses 1 through 7. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one person says, well, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Listen closely. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I can see people in the church saying, well, look at 1 Corinthians 7. The, who's a Paul? Who's Apollos? They're nothing. The Bible says that uh, it's God. I, I follow God. I'm not going to follow man. Well, that's good. But are you also respecting the position that has been given to the pastor that's at your church and the elders and the spiritual authority? Well, they have no right to tell me what to do or speak into my life. Well, be careful. That whole attitude's caused a lot of problems in our marriages. The Bible says that the head of the husband, uh, sorry, head of the wife is the husband, but the head of the husband is who? Is Christ. There's authority that's been designed, and we should be respectful of the fact that God has designed authority, and we, it all ultimately points to Him. Yet, as much as we're to submit ourselves and respect authority, be careful that we don't step over into the other ditch and just become followers of people. Look at verses 18 through 23. Look at how Paul says it here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 through 23. He said, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it's written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All is yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God. So he reminds them, look, you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, everything is yours. Not everything's beneficial. But everything's yours. So don't be following men. And that's where we're going to be moving in a little bit when we get to call no one on earth father. So I just want you to, to remember how Jesus said, look, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat and therefore you should listen to what they say because they're teaching the law of God. Now, these rascals, as you clearly saw, he called them hypocrites. They have added to the law of God and they haven't lived out what they've been teaching. Don't copy how they live their life. Respect the position, but don't become a follower of man. Look at verses 4 through 10. Back in Matthew 23. Thank you. Yeah. Verses 4 through 10, back in Matthew 23. We're talking about the Pharisees, he said, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who's in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. All right. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to take some time to break this section down. There's a lot here. First off, the Pharisees would add specific rules and regulations to the law of God. 
And they made obedience to God harder than God ever intended, especially since God's law was designed to bring people to God and to his mercy and his grace. But the Pharisees, who were supposed to teach who God really was, by the way, he's loving, kind, full of mercy. The Pharisees, who were supposed to be teaching who God really was, actually made people's burdens harder instead of them pointing them to the God who would take their burdens for them. Their role was to instruct the people in the law of God so that people would understand who God is and his holiness. Yet at the same time, we've dealt with this over and over, especially in Matthew. What was the purpose of God's law? To do what? To show you couldn't keep it. So that you would then turn to God and say, I can't do this perfectly like the law says. I need help. And he'll say, great, let me show you who I am and how I've provided. All along, we see God's provision for man's sin back in the garden when he had the animal put to death because of Adam and Eve's sin so that they'd be covered. When the law came and the sacrifices and all that, it was God showing them, look, you sin and you sin and you sin and I have to cover your sin. You need to look to me, the one of love and patience and mercy and grace. And if you'll turn to me, I will cover your sin. If you want to try to cover it yourself, if you want to take care of it yourself, you go right ahead. But you're going to end up in a place called hell where you'll be trying to pay for your sin the rest of your life because you can't do it. But if you come to me, and that's what the purpose of the law was. But the Pharisees, instead of pointing the people to the one who would take their burden for them, actually added more burden. The law might say, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. They added 300 more laws as to what that meant, what you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath and all these kind of. I mean, literally to the point that they would add and say, um, if you uh, tie a knot on the Sabbath, it has to be a knot that can only be untied by pulling with one hand. If it takes two hands to untie it, that's work and you're not allowed to do that. I mean, they would make up all these things. We've talked. We look at that and we say, well, that's silly. No, be careful. We're, we have that same problem. I've talked on this before, but I'm going to remind you, we in the church have done this. In, in the book of Peter and Timothy, it talks about how a woman's beauty should come from the inner spirit. It shouldn't come. It shouldn't be just from the braiding of her hair and the wearing of gold and clothing and all that stuff. The scripture just simply said that a woman's beauty should not be on the outward, but it should be from the inward. But what did we do? We said that means women can't wear makeup. They can't wear pants. You know what I'm saying? We, we added to what the law said and what the word of God said. And we made all these rules and regulations. We've done that. Oh, even though the Bible said that there, we're not judged by any Sabbath regulations here in the church. Second Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Don't let anybody judge you on a new moon festival or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality has been found in Christ. What did we do in the church? We all grew up with the fact that Sunday was the Sabbath and we had to follow Sabbath regulations and you couldn't eat out. And you couldn't have play. If it was play, it had to be a quiet board game. And we added and made following Christ harder than God ever intended. But I want to take you back and show you even in the Old Testament, I'm going to start in Matthew here, but even in the Old Testament, all along, God's word has said, I will carry your burden. I'm not expecting you to carry your burden. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Go back to Psalm 55. Verse 
In Psalm 55, look at verse 22. Cast your burden on who? The Lord, and he will sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. Jump over to Isaiah 53. We're just going to look at verses 4 through 6. But in Isaiah 53, look at verses 4 through 6 again with me. Listen to what it says. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All along, the law was pointing and the word of God was pointing to the one that God was going to send to take care of the sin problem and the burden of sin. And what does the scripture say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21? He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Pharisees' job was to point people to God who would bear their sin. And what did they do? They said, in order to be right before God, you got to act like us. And they added more and more and more burden. And unfortunately, folks, many of us grew up in the church and we were taught very similarly, weren't we? We were told nothing you can do to be saved. You got to trust Jesus. But now that you're saved, you owe it to him to live for Jesus and you need to work hard. Without realizing it, Jesus said, you've made Christianity a whole lot harder than I ever intended. Come to me, Jim. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. I'm going to give you a yoke. There are going to be things I want you to do. I mean, the evidence of your faith is good works, but at the same time, don't let everybody else tell you what the good works are supposed to be. You let me lead you and guide you and you live the life that I have for you. And I'll take your burden. I take your sin burden and I will give you the power to do what it is I ask you to do on a daily basis. We need to be aware of and wary of spiritual leaders who do their ministry for the approval of men. Go back to Matthew chapter 23. Look at what Verse 5 says, not only do they lay burdens on people's shoulders and aren't willing to move them with their finger. Verse 5 says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Now, beware of spiritual leaders who do what they do just to be seen by others. But listen closely. I want to take some time tonight to teach you about something we've been taught that has been taught incorrect and show you from the scripture what I mean by this. We also have to be careful what our motives are when we do our good deeds. But how many of you have ever remember being told that when you do your good deeds, make sure nobody sees it because you don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? You know, you've been taught, do it in secret. Don't let anybody see what you're doing. Well, that goes against the scripture. We were taught, whatever you do, just don't let anybody know. Don't let anybody know that you're doing it. What well, goes against the scripture? Go to Matthew chapter five. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 13 through 16. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste or saltiness, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Did you catch that? 
Jesus said, do what you're doing, your good works before people. Let them see your good works. But do it so that they bring glory to God, not you. Again, when the scripture, and I'm going to show you that passage, talks about not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's talking about your motive for why you do it. It's not saying don't ever let anybody see what you're doing. If that was what Jesus taught, he broke his own rule when he pointed out what the widow's offering was. Remember how they were sitting and watching the people give their offerings? And Jesus actually pointed out what she gave. Why? Because it's not wrong to let people see you do your good works. The question is, when you let people see your, do good work, your good works, are you doing it so that they'll be impressed with you? See, this, I think it's actually valuable. Over the years, I've taught pastors, look, the church needs to see you put something in when the plate goes by. It's good for them. It's an encouragement to the body when they see their pastors give. Oh, but don't do this. And then put it in. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is not teaching don't let people see your good deeds. He's saying make sure your reason why you're letting people see it is so that they'll bring glory to God and not you. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. We've already seen that we are to do our good deeds before other people. Just don't do it to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here again, we see. We're not to just say, don't let anybody see me do it. Now, there are going to be times that God has you leave something on a, on a doorstep and ring the bell and go away. But at the same time, don't think it's wrong to have someone see you do something. Check your motives, though. Because just like the Pharisees wanted everybody to approve and to be praising them, you kind of want to. You want that as well. You want proof? How have you ever felt when you did something and nobody noticed? How did you feel? Husbands, how about that one time in the month you actually took the trash out without being asked and then she didn't notice? How did you feel? You want the praise of man. We all kind of want that. I, as a pastor, struggled with that myself. I literally, one of my biggest struggles when I was a pastor of a church was I wanted everybody to like me. By the way, that's not going to happen. And actually, you're going to make yourself miserable trying to please everybody. Because, as you hopefully know, not everybody has the same opinion of what the pastor ought to be and do. And you want a proof that you're in a church that's a real church? Ask him whether or not it's too hot or too cold in the room. <laughs> But let's deal with this teaching from Jesus in Matthew 23 about call no one father on earth. Now, as I've taught you before, and I want to reiterate, whenever you build your doctrine, you don't build it from one verse or from one passage, but you use the whole of scripture to build your doctrine. Too many people say, well, here Jesus says, don't call anybody father on earth. Well, be careful. That sure sounds like you can interpret it that way. But he must mean something else, because as I'm going to show you from Scripture, there's lots of places where the Bible taught that people said, consider me your father. Seems to go against Jesus' teaching. I'm going to show it to you. Stick with me, because I'm going to prove you something from Scripture. But for a while, it's going to look like I'm proving the opposite. All right. So just be ready for that. Go to First Thessalonians chapter one. First Thessalonians chapter one. We'll start. Actually, we'll go to chapter two. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And we'll start there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we get one more page over here. We'll just start in verse 1. Paul said, For you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. For our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, listen, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In other words, we could, we could lord our authority over you that we've been given, but we didn't. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day and we might, that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the, to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know, listen closely, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it is. It really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I, I lay this as a foundation. And I'm going to show you from Scripture. Paul many times would see himself as a parent. He said, we were like a nursing mother, gentle with you, but we were also like a father. And we challenged you and encouraged you like a father would with his sons. Actually, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you don't have time to turn there now, and you look at the qualifications for an elder, and those would be pastors and leaders in the church. The scripture says, after having done it in the home, let him serve in the church. And because of what it's saying is this, if, if a pastor understands God's design for authority and leadership in the home as a parent, he's ready to serve in the church because parenting, sorry, our, our leadership in the church is like parenting. It's not. I, I deal with a lot of churches that move from congregational government to elder leadership. And one of the things when I teach these prospective elders, I show them and I say, look, if you think you're going to be in charge and you're going to be a leader and you're going to be a decision maker, you're not qualified. You're not ready to be a pastor. You're not ready to be an elder in this church. Because biblically, the elders need to see themselves as parents. In Galatians chapter 4, we don't have time to turn there. Paul actually, when he was dealing with this church, who had gone back to legalism after being taught about grace, and, and they've been fooled into the circumcision thing, he said, I feel like I'm in the pains of childbirth again with you. I, as I see myself as a parent. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, again, don't turn there, but if you want to write it down and double check me, in 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14, John writes to the church and he says, I write to you, does anybody know what he said? Fathers. I write to you young men. I write to you children. He said it twice. He said it again. I write to you fathers. I write to you children. I write to you young men. Uh, go with me to uh, first, uh, Philemon. Let's go to Philemon first. Go to Philemon verse 10. <coughs> I always love to wait quietly when I just say Philemon verse 10 to see if anybody says what chapter. Because that will show me you haven't read Philemon. There's only one chapter. Verse 10. Now look at what Paul said in verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul writing to Philemon to say, hey, your slave ran away from you. He ended up where I was in prison, met me. He got saved and I became his father. 
I thought Jesus said, don't call anybody father. Oh, I'm about to blow your minds. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 14 through 17. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17, Paul says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then, listen closely, be imitators of me. Isn't that interesting? Jimmy, you seem to be proving your point in the wrong direction. Well, listen closely. Just as parents do well when they guide their children to become what God wants them to be, so pastors, too, do well when they point the ones under their care to Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, don't call anybody father, he wasn't saying, don't use that term. What he was saying was, you only have one father, one true spiritual head. You're going to have under shepherds. And their role is to be like parents over you, like fathers, like mothers, to see you as children. But their job is to point you to who? To Christ, not to themselves. But wait a minute, Jim, didn't Paul just say imitate me? I'll get to that in a second. But I want you to hear what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying don't ever use the term father, although I'm not real comfortable with being called even reverend. I, even when people call me, I have to call you pastor. I say, look, I don't call you Sunday school teacher. I don't call you usher. I don't call you sound man. And I'm Jim. The, yeah, the Bible does this say that we're to give pastors double honor. But if you really want to go down that road, uh, the context is paying them well. It says, don't muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain. You know, a lot of people are really OK with giving the pastor a parking space and maybe an envelope with cash in it on Pastor Appreciation Month. But the rest of the year. Forget it. For years, the church has prayed this prayer. Lord, send us a poor, humble preacher. We'll, you keep him humble. We'll keep him poor. But actually, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that God gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And then the next verses later on say, so that we'll all grow up into him who is the head. In other words, when Jesus said, don't call anybody father, he was saying what we've been looking at earlier. Don't say, I follow this one person. They're my spiritual leader. By the way, I've heard lots of people say that to me over the years. You're my spiritual leader. Mm, be careful. My job is to point you to Jesus, your true spiritual leader. That's why Paul said, don't say I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas. <laughs> don't boast in men. You have a relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ and he lives within you. You should never be someone who just says, I follow this person. There's too many people out there today that are following one teacher. I only listen to brother so-and-so because I think their teaching is the best. Be careful. As much as you may even respect what I do, I'm human. I don't have it all figured out. And we're going to make mistakes. But if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to be pleasing to God, I'm going to be an example to you as I follow Christ and challenge you to follow Christ. That's what Paul was saying when he taught them to imitate himself. Let me show you what I mean by that. Go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 17 and then put a finger there because we're going to come back to it. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says this. Let's go to Philippians instead of Ephesians. That'll work. All right. Verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Isn't that interesting? Again, he says, follow me. Imitate me. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 9. He says, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So once again, here Paul's saying, imitate me. Again, build your doctrine from the whole scripture. I've just given you a couple of verses that you could say, hey, Paul here said we just to act like him. Be careful. Use the whole Bible to build your doctrine. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What he was really saying was, don't follow me per se. Follow me in the same way in which I live my life and I live my life hungering for more of Jesus. Go back. Remember I told you to keep a finger in Philippians 3? We're going to come back to it. Let's go back and look at the full context of verse 17. We had just read how Paul said, be imitators of me and, 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 and uh, copy what you see in a lot of people that live like we do. Listen again to the whole context of Philippians 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ. And glory Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day and of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What was Paul saying when he said imitate me? He said, I want to know Christ more. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to not be a follower of Paul. He's already said, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? They're nothing. The one who plants, the one who waters is nothing. 
It's God who gives the increase. Don't boast in men. Don't say, I follow this guy or I follow that guy. Paul had made very clear he didn't want followers of Paul. But when he said, imitate me, he was saying, as I hunger for more of Jesus and point people to Jesus, I want you to do the same thing. Hunger for more of Jesus and point people to Jesus. Years ago, this wonderful preacher was preaching a series through the book of Genesis. And he came to the story of Jacob wrestling with God and how Jacob met God and he wrestled with him. And the Bible says that God touched Jacob's hip and put it out of joint. And from that point on, Jacob spent the rest of his life walking with a limp. And the preacher made a very interesting and powerful statement that has stuck with me. It's been, it's been easily 20 years since I've heard this message. And he said, beware of a preacher that doesn't walk with a limp. In other words, he said, beware and don't follow a preacher that acts like they got it all figured out. And that they've got all the wisdom and all the knowledge and that you should just follow them and their teaching. And beware of those who say, don't listen to this guy and don't listen to that guy. Just listen to me. By the way, that's how a lot of the cults got started, isn't it? All the people became followers of a certain individual and they wanted people to follow and listen to whatever they said. They cut them off from everybody else. No. Beware of any preacher that acts like he doesn't have any sin problem, any struggle. Beware of any preacher that doesn't walk with a limp. God had to humble Jacob and remind him, you're a broken man and you need me. And he walked with that limp the rest of his life to be reminded that it was God had his, his power, not himself. And folks, listen to what Paul said. He said, I hunger for more. Not that I'm already made perfect or have attained all this, but I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm moving on toward what's ahead and I want to know Christ better. And folks, I want to be a preacher that points you to Jesus. I want to hunger for more of him myself, but I don't want you to follow me and say, well, I follow Jim. No, don't go there. No, don't call anyone father on earth. Jesus was simply saying, don't say this is the one person I follow. No. He was saying, you're, you're one you follow. The one you, who's your only father? God. And you have only one instructor, and that's the Christ. He's the one who's going to teach you. You know, recently I've had a lot of people send me emails and questions, which I love, by the way. If you've got Bible questions, send me an email. I don't mind answering them. Sometimes, and leave your phone number, because sometimes I might just text you or call you. Sometimes it's easier to answer just with a verbal instead of writing an all big long answer out of an email because of my schedule. But what I will tell you sometimes is I don't want you just saying, hey, Jim will tell us what the answer is. And be ready for the fact that if you ask me a question, I'm going to probably say to you, what do you think the Scripture's saying? See, because my job is not to be your answerer. My job is to teach you how to find the answer for yourself through the Spirit and through the, the Word of God. That's my job. See, because Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll guide you into all the truth. He'll teach you. He'll remind you. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter um, 3. Let me remind you that we're never to follow one man. Again, look at verses 4 through 7, and then we're going to jump down to verses 21 through 23. First Corinthians 3, 4 through 7, we touched about this. Paul says, when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Their servants to whom you believed is the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Jump down to verses 21 through 23. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. 
Jump over to John chapter 16 real quick. John chapter 16. Jesus himself has just been teaching about the Holy Spirit is going to be with you, but he's, going to, he's in, with you, but he's going to be in you. And in John 16, look at verses 13 through 15. He says, when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He'll declare to you the things that are to come and he'll glorify me for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Who's going to open your eyes to spiritual truth? Is it Jim Johnson? No, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord that's going to open your eyes. And so scripturally, I need to be showing you who Jesus is through the word. But you need to be checking everything I say against the scriptures. Don't ever say, well, I follow this person. My spiritual leader, my father spiritually is. No, no, no. Paul, when he said, I became your father, he just talked about his role as a parent, as a shepherd looking over them. But his job was to point them to the head. So they will all grow up into him who is the head. And so Jesus wasn't saying, don't ever use that term. He was saying, don't get all your spiritual direction from one person. Because actually, you have one father spiritually, and that's God. You have only one instructor. That's Christ, the Holy Spirit. Now, does he use teachers and preachers? Yes. And are we to respect their positions and their authority? Yes, and the role they've been given. Should we follow them? No. There's a delicate balance. No, he never asked him to call him. He actually considered himself to be like a spiritual father to them. Exactly. But he didn't say, you need to call me that. Yep, yep. And that's why the Pharisees loved being called a rabbi. Like I told you, I don't like being called pastor. I don't like being called reverend. I'm Jim. I've been given a role, but I don't want the parking space either. Go to Matthew 23. Look at verses 11 through 12. I might after my knee surgery for a couple of weeks, but, but otherwise I think I'll be all right. Matthew 23, look at verses 11 and 12. It says, The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus has perfectly modeled these two verses himself, has he not? He humbled himself and submitted himself to the Heavenly Father, even though he was God himself. Again, I'm going to give you some scriptures because of the time so that we keep up with where we were last night. I'm not going to have you go look at them. But in John 13, verses 12 through 17, Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. But he said, um, if I, your teacher and your Lord, have done this, you need to do the same. He taught the role of a servant. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. I want you to see that one. We're in 23. Turn over one page probably in your Bible to Matthew 25, verse 28. Sorry, chapter 20, verse 25 through 28. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give of his life as a ransom for many. You know, one of the problems in the church today isn't just that churches and people love to follow the preacher or follow the man. There's a lot of pastors that love the attention. They love the fact that their name's on the bus. They like the fact that their name is on the church. Oh, that's pastor so-and-so's church. That's so-and-so's church. And there's a lot of pastors that love the attention. Beware of that. Beware of that. I've told you for years, and I'll say it again. If I got my druthers... Um, 
I would show up just in time to preach and then disappear as soon as I was done. Because the interaction before and after, a lot of times makes me uncomfortable. It's just how I've been wired. I can stand in front of 100,000 people and teach and preach the Word of God and not be nervous. I love it. It fires me up. But the interaction sometimes is hard for me. Part of it is because a lot of people like to come and tell you how wonderful you are. Thank you. But I don't like it. Thank the Lord, you know. But I also had to learn that balance. For years, people would come and they'd tell me how much God used what I did. And, and, and I would always say, no, no, give the glory to God. And then they would have this look on their face like they just did something wrong. And I realized I wasn't doing them any good because we are to say appreciation. We are to say thank you. We are to say, hey, you know, God really used that in my life. We're to do that. And so what I've started to do over the years is when people say, hey, man, I just got a lot out of that. Thank you so much. I see myself as the donkey that Jesus rode on in Jerusalem. As you know, they were all laying the palm branches down in the coats. The donkey walked on the coats, but the donkey had to know these ain't for me. That's for him. And so now instead of me saying, don't, no, 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 give glory to God, I'll say thank you. But inside, I'll just say, Lord, I just got to walk on some coats that were for you. And that helps me. It helps me do it. You know, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, the scripture says that even though Jesus was God, he didn't claim equality with God as something to be grasped, but he took the role of a what? Of a servant. And he humbled himself and he submitted himself to the role that the father had for him. Beware of the spiritual leaders who expect the Cadillac, who expect that you treat them well. We should be like Jesus. And humble ourselves. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Oh, and by the way, um, in case you didn't catch it, you're going to be humbled either way. Did you ever think about that? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You're going to be humbled either way. You can't get around being humbled. So would you rather humble yourself or have God humble you? I'm going to tell you, humble yourself. Because when God humbles you, it's a little more public. Look at verses 13 through 15. Matthew 23, verses 13 through 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Here Jesus points out that the Pharisees were doing the exact opposite of what we just looked at in the previous verses. They were making disciples of themselves, and in doing so, they were teaching their rewritten definitions of righteousness and making not only followers of themselves, but also children bound for hell. Because as they were going to hell, they were teaching them to follow them there. By the way, you see Jesus clearly said the Pharisees were heading to hell, right? He says that very, very clearly. And then if you look at verse uh, um, 15, he says, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Look at chapter 23, verse 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Didn't go over very well. Uh, no, especially when they had been telling everybody we're the closest to God. And they were the ones who are probably the furthest. But their disciples were twice the children of hell as they were. Because, listen closely, because the Pharisees knew that they weren't fully in line with God. I'm going to show you that from the scripture. The Pharisees actually knew that they weren't fully in line with God. 
But they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Go to John chapter 3 real quick and look at verses 1 and 2. John chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What did he just say about the Pharisees? We know you're from God. Yet the Pharisees did not want to acknowledge that he was from God. Go to John chapter 12. Look at verses 42 and 43. In John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You know, Jesus said, if you're not willing to confess me before men, I won't confess you by my father in heaven. There are people out there that know the truth. Actually, I believe the Bible teaches that everybody does at some level. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that his divine qualities, eternal nature have been clearly seen through what's been made. So that all men are without excuse. And then it goes on in those same verses to say, although they knew God. They did not acknowledge God. In the same way, the Bible teaches, I don't have time to turn there, but if you go look and if you want to write it down and double check me, John 15, verses 22 and 20 through 25. John 15, 22 through 25, and John 9, 39 through 41. Let me say this to you again so you can look at them. John 15, 22 through 25, and John 9, 39 through 41. Jesus actually says to the Pharisees, you're guilty and you know it. He says, you say, now that you say we see, you're guilty. If I hadn't have done what I'd done in front of you, you wouldn't be guilty. But now that you've seen it, you're guilty. And they knew. So they were headed to hell and they knew under conviction that he was from God, but they didn't want to deal with it and confess it. But their disciples, their proselytes were twice the children of hell for this reason. They're dealing with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but the spiritual leader has said, you're OK. So they listen to man more than they listen to God. The Pharisees are dealing with God. The proselytes are dealing with God and man saying, God saying they're not okay, but man saying they are. By the way, I have been very cautious throughout my life ever to say to somebody, you're saved. Now, I'm not afraid to say it when I know the Bible's true and you respond and there's evidence. I have no problem confirming and, and, and comforting a brother or sister in Christ and say, look, there's evidence of your salvation. But I'm not quick to say, hey, you prayed that prayer, you're saved now. Because I don't want somebody saying, hey, Jim says I'm okay. That's a dangerous place to be. The disciples were being told by these quote unquote religious leaders that they'd be righteous by their good works, just like the Pharisees. So if their spiritual leader said they were okay, then they must be okay. Therefore, they were twice blind and headed for hell. Oh, by the way, what did Jesus say is going to happen to those who cause one of these little ones to sin? Be better if a millstone were tied around their neck and they're thrown into the depths of the sea. James chapter three, verse one says, don't all seek to be teachers, folks, because those of us who teach will be held in stricter accountability. Let's go back to verses 16 through 22 of Matthew 23, and we'll wrap up here tonight. Keep us up with where they, we ended up last night. In verse 16 verse through 22, woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. 
you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. In this section, as we've been talking about how the Pharisees had added their own little rules, Jesus points out just a few of the foolishness and the foolish rules that the Pharisees had done. And they would say things like that. They would say, if you make a vow by the altar of God, you don't really have to keep it. But if you say you vow by the, the, the sacrifice on the altar, then you better keep it. And Jesus says, that's that's foolish. But they were really good at that. And the best way I can illustrate to you some of the silliness of this, their rules was something I just read about this past week when I was on an airplane. And and uh, I don't know how much of you know about golf, but in the rules of golf, which, by the way, the rules of golf are really interesting. But in the rules of golf, while you're playing a round of golf, you're not allowed to use somebody else's equipment. So if you borrow someone else's driver or iron, it's a penalty. You're not allowed to use someone else's equipment. You're only allowed to use your equipment and your golf balls and all that. So this guy is playing. This is a true story. Guy's playing with a friend of his who's a stickler like a Pharisee for the rules. And on a par three, he sees this broken tee on the ground and he picks it up and he uses it on the par three. He hits his shot. The Pharisee type partner says to him, you just broke that rule about using someone else's equipment. That wasn't your tee. That was somebody else's. You just broke the rule. You have a two stroke penalty. A few holes later, the Pharisee type golfer actually sees, they come to a par three, sees a broken tee on the ground. He picks it up, puts it in his pocket and declares, this tee is now mine. Pulls it out of his pocket and uses it and hits his shot and says, no penalty, no penalty. I had declared it mine. That's what the Pharisees were good at doing. They would heap these burdens. They wouldn't do them. And then they would say, well, we're okay because we didn't swear by the altar. We sweared by the gift on the altar or vice versa. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus just says, look, you think you can, by the way, don't we rationalize too? I didn't really do anything that bad. I only told a white lie. I didn't really deceive per se. I just didn't tell the whole truth. Be careful. You got Pharisee in you too because you're just as human as they are. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, 6 and we'll close with this tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Remember, Paul's been, we've been looking back and forth at chapter 3 and of don't follow Paul or don't follow Paul. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, and that none of you be puffed up in favor of one against another. There's a tendency for all of us to tell everybody, all right, God's word says this, and this is how you're to do it. Be careful. Whose job is application? The Holy Spirit's job. See, as a preacher, I was taught years ago, you got to teach the word and then you got to give them the application. Some of you are Bible teachers yourselves and you've been taught. Give them the application. Give them the application. And the more I study the scriptures, the more I come to realize the Holy Spirit's going to give you application. 
I'm to teach you what the word says, but how you're specifically to play it out. Be careful that I don't try to take the role of the Holy Spirit and that you don't take the role of the Holy Spirit and tell everybody specifically what they're supposed to go do with it. The Spirit will show you. And it frees me up to teach the Word of God because as I speak to all of you, you're all in different places and different situations and God's got a plan for each of your lives. And as I teach you the truth of the Word of God, I got to be careful that I don't say, therefore you must now go. Do, you see what I'm saying? I've gone beyond what is written. Let the Spirit of God show you how to apply what it is we're talking about. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.